Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 41 of Breaking Bats, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I am your host, Brian O'Grady, and with me, as always, again, two weeks in a row now, we took a break, but as always, <laughs> J.A., Justin Harris. J.A., we talked earlier on Colin's show, now we're recording this. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I was saying before we got on here, I'm good, by the way. It's the day-night doubleheader. This is what really separates the men from the boys in terms of podcasters. This is what, this is what you know, this is a gritty. We're doing have an interview after this. So, yeah, I think one-eighth of, of our day will just be spent talking to each other on Zoom, which, you know, I don't have a problem with that. It's great. And, you know, yes, I would. if there's one word to describe this show, it's gritty for gritty. sure. But. You know, we have to say, I don't know if we said this before. I don't think we have, but I have to tell all our listeners, we have to congratulate old J.A. here. We're cramming in some things a little bit because J.A. is starting a new job next week at good old George Washington University in D.C. So we are very excited about that. J.A. is very excited. We are very excited for him. So congratulations. As you guys know, he's a very hard worker. And without him, we wouldn't have any of this stuff. So, J.A., Congrats, buddy. I know I already told you that, but on oh. here, congrats, dude. Very happy for you, and I know everybody else will be too. Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Really excited to be a, a George Washington University colonel working uh, downtown D.C. So, um, yeah, it's going to be great. That's I wasn't expecting such kind words. I, I would have had a speech prepared afterwards. You know, I'll warn you next time, but the genuine <laughs> reaction is better anyway. So, once again, congrats to him. We have Thank to root for GWU now, and... With all that being said, go ahead, hit him, Jay. What do we got today? We have a quick ad before we get to our news this week. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Psalm Sleep. Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night because Psalm Sleep has you covered? The scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it has helped people everywhere take their game to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving of Psalm Sleep just 30 minutes before you go to bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not Psalm Sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer your day. Go to getsom.com, click shop, and enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S, at checkout for 10% off of your entire order. All right, in the news category this week, in things that don't have to do with the World Series, we'll get to World Series talk in a minute, uh, Albert Pujols officially signed his retirement papers. Uh, he, you know, a source told MLB.com on Monday, he, he signed all the documents. There's going to be no pool holes in 2023. He finished 2022 though, 24 bombs and 895 OPS, 703 career for his, uh, for home runs for Albert pool holes. Are you, are you sad that we're not going to have Albert? I thought, thought there was a chance he could come back and I thought he would maybe get a chase Babe Ruth in the all-time record. So, um, none of that, man, what a career. Congratulations to him. I'm glad he got to 700. We talked about that. I think if, he was at 699. Uh, I don't, that's tough to hang up right there. Would be in my mind at least. Um, but an unbelievable career, you know. He and I think it's better to go out playing that well. You know, he kind of finished it off and played really well when it looked like maybe that wasn't going to happen. So he turned it around and got the finish in St. Louis and had an unbelievable year and that all that you know the the home run chase and everything. It was great. I think it's a good way to go out. You know, I think you were seeing. Um, I love Tom Brady. I think he's still very good, but things are not going great right there. Or I'm sorry, right now for him. So maybe pull holes playing that well. And you ride you ride out in the sunset for that. You go out on top like Seinfeld. It's not a bad idea. You don't want to limp out. You don't want your last memory of people to have of you is just like this sad, this sad old tired man who can't get it done anymore. So um, that's a great point. I was hoping to see Albert climb the, the home run ranks a little higher. It's cool. He got to seven Oh three though. So that's, I mean, that's no small speed, no small feat in and of itself. So it's, it's a great, it's a great end to a career for Albert Pujols. I don't think anybody thought he'd have 24 home runs this year, by the way, except maybe Greg Amsinger, who apparently is just correctly predicting everything. So shout out Greg. Here for predictions out of Greg. Good for you. <laughs> Love him. We need to get back on the <clears throat> podcast. Um, next up Kansas city Royals. They have a new manager, Matt Quattraro. 
He was the bench coach in Tampa Bay in 2018 to 2022. Uh, worked with Brian there in 2020. I thought this was cool. I thought it was a fun story. Um, Brian, what do you remember about working with Matt back in 2020? Q is awesome. He's definitely just a, a laid back, uh, you know, quiet guy who just gets his job done. Like he, he was great. I love talking to him. Uh, hit some great fungos. Jesus, what's what fungos he he hits? But no, just a smart guy. Uh, has everybody's respect and it's just even keel. So I think he's a great fit for that team being young and obviously great experience with the race. He was with the Indians before that he, he's, he's been a, basically somebody was going to hire him for it for the past, like five years. He, I, I don't know this, but it, it kind of seemed like he was waiting for his perfect fit, like what he wanted to do. Cause he was, all over the place interviewing for a long time at this point. So happy for Q. Great guy. Uh, I think the the Royals made a great decision and he's going to be a phenomenal manager. I thought this is interesting also because the Kevin Cash coaching tree, it's ever expanding. So we saw Charlie Montoyo go to Toronto for a little bit. Rocco Baldelli is in Minnesota. Derek Shelton's in Pittsburgh. What do you think it is about Kevin Cash that lends to having all of his coaches go out and, and be so well positioned to be managers in their own right? I think it's a combo of the, the culture, like we talked about before in Tampa, you know, Cash and Neander kind of set that and it, it just rolls through. But Cash does a great job of communicating. So I think all those guys that come from, from Cash and the Rays understand that and understand how important that is as, as players. And most of these guys are, I, well, I think all of them actually, are former players. So they get that too, being former players. Like all you can ask for is the truth, like the actual truth, whatever – if that's hard to hear, if it's stuff you want to hear, whatever that truth is. So they do that. And then obviously they, they bring some ideas with them from, from Tampa and kind of whatever their little secret sauce is too. But um, I think all of them are good people and that goes a long way too. And they all command respect. It's cool because you never really think about baseball coaching trees, but I mean, guys like Joe Madden's coaching tree have been really well. I'm just thinking to the NFL too, if we're going to like switch into football, like, so there's just some head coaches that just produce awesome coaching trees. So it, it's cool to see Kevin Cash's. He's been there for, gosh, I think it's eight years he's been in Tampa now. So it, it's cool to see his kind of go out and have success in their own right. Yeah. I think anytime it doesn't matter the sport, right? I think if, if you're learning from a great coach, in that sport, you're going to have at least some sort of cue, uh, clues on, on what you're doing. It doesn't mean you'll be great too, but you know, you get a, an inside look at all that stuff and, and you can use that on your own or you can implement the same strategies. And, you know, guys, those guys have definitely been doing it. As we say, they keep getting hired, right. And staying. I love it. Shout out coach Q. Uh, next up in the news category, Nolan Arenado. I don't know if this is a surprise or not, but he informed the Cardinals that he intends to stay and he's not going to opt out. He's going to have the rest of his five years, $144 million played out in St. Louis. Um, did, did you ever think he would get, was going to be a free agent? I think it's like 28.8 a year or something. If I did my math right, he's 32. He seemed like he had a good time. I don't know. What do you think? It's an interesting one because the age now, nowadays, which is, is uh, probably works against him a little bit, but I think that's starting to turn actually a little bit too, but you know, I think he's just in the right situation. He likes St. Louis. He thinks that they're trying to win. Um, he's coming off an MVP caliber year, so maybe he could have got more. But at the end of the day, he's set with money. That's obviously a ton of it. He's fine, and he likes where he's at. So good for him. Doesn't have to worry about it. He stays there and you know, probably finishes his career out there. And I think it, it just makes it more simple, you know? didn't have to go in and start thinking about contracts and worry about all that stuff to solve. So you can do whatever adjustment stuff he wants to do and just know he's going to be in St. Louis and that he's a part of that team and they're trying to win a world series. I looked it up. I saw this on Twitter earlier. I couldn't believe it. He's won 10 consecutive gold gloves at third base. It's kind of caveat. Sorry. He's amazing. Fucking unreal over there. Don't get me wrong, but this is also this year too. The fact that Manny Machado hasn't won any of them or wasn't even the one of the three finalists this year is fucking bonkers. And it's another story, but people say, Oh, well, his, uh, the, the defensive run save, I think it is whatever, like, isn't good, but that's, that doesn't come to take account like positioning and other things too. So, you know, Arenado's phenomenal. Can't take anything away from him, but it's a crime that Manny hasn't fucking won any of those. 
Oh, dang. I, I, this is this is like semi-breaking news to me. I haven't really checked the gold gloves they were announced tonight. Leave it to baseball to just drop the gold gloves on the night of the World Series when probably nobody's paying attention. But uh, I'm looking at the National League side. Shout out Trent Grisham. Gold glove. Number two. So, good for him, man. Shout out, shout out Trent Grisham. Love it. Um, all right. Uh, next up for you guys, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week. The fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, the original Fudge Kitchen. They are shipping fudge and sweet treats all over the country. You can find them online at fudgekitchenswithans.com. I still have a few little bits of fudge left from when I just ordered it about a week ago. It is phenomenal. It, I loved it. I'm definitely going to order some more here and probably, I don't know, might, might wait about two weeks before I have to stuff that down again. But it is so good. All sorts of different flavors. They have saltwater taffy and other treats too. I don't know if anybody's down to Jersey Shore anymore this year, but if you are, they have locations in Cape May, Stone Harbor, Wildwood, North Wildwood, and Ocean City. But they ship all over the country at fudgekitchenswithans.com. I don't know. It might be bumping down there with the Phils in the World Series. Jersey Shore could be a, a hot place to watch these uh, these World Series games. I don't know. Our moment of the week, it's a really cool story. I saw it in the New York Times on Sunday. It's about Jordan Alvarez's parents. So this is a story that I think originally it was big back in August, and I'll tell you why, is because when Jordan left Cuba at age 17, this is back in 2016, up until August of this year, his parents haven't been able to watch him play pro ball in person, and they they had a, they sparingly watched him on, on TV. So there was like two years of immigration lawyers and the Astros owner, Jim Crane, had to get involved and put his backing behind this. So uh, they finally came to their first game back in August. And the New York Times story just basically covered his parents' trip there for game two of the World Series. They hang on every pitch. Like his mom is, is living and dying with every single pitch of a, of a Jordan Alvarez at bat. They're his biggest supporter. So I thought that was a really, really cool, heartwarming baseball story. Uh, my question to you is, is that in terms of having your family there and your parents there to watch you play, like how many games, like what percentage of your games, obviously 2020 aside, would your parents come to? Not a lot, man. It's not easy. Uh, easier than Jordan's parents had it for sure. That story is phenomenal, but it's, uh, you know, working and doing all those things. It's, it's, it's not easy to, to get the games, but anytime I came close, uh, DC, they would take the train down. Um, any, any time like that, I'm trying to think of, where obviously my debut and, and some of that in Cincinnati, they were there. Uh, I haven't played in Philly, so they haven't been able to come to Philly yet. But uh, D.C., yeah, uh, it's not easy. The minor leagues, same thing. It's random places, but they've been there, uh, I don't know, not not as often as they would like, that's for sure. But watching, of course, they, you know, they have all the apps and everything you can watch with now. So that makes it a little bit, a little bit easier. Got them to figure out how you can, like, use your phone to put stuff on the TV, you know, so they can like, instead of sitting at the phone like this, they can actually watch on TV. <laughs> that MLB.com subscription is coming in clutch yeah. um, or MLB.tv. So uh, to shift gears and talk a little bit about the world series and you were Don Alvarez's Houston Astros. We were recording this became before game three of the world series on Tuesday night. There was rain out of course on Monday that shifted the pitching matchups a little bit around. So there's some interesting storylines that came out of that. The Astros didn't, didn't touch a thing they, they left the rotation completely intact. Uh, the Phillies, though, they went from having Syndergaard go game three and kind of like a one-third, two-third split between him and the bullpen. Uh, they're going to have Ranger Suarez, who's been very dependable for them this postseason in game three, and then Nola's back out there for game four. Do you think this changes the balance of power in this series at all, it, just having the rain out and how it shifted the pitching and even the bullpens? It's a good question. I don't think so. I, I think if you ask the Phillies, uh, well, obviously, if they're starting Ranger Suarez instead of Syndergaard, that was the scenario that they preferred right there, but – I think it's also they wanted to mix it up. You know, they, they gave the Astros two righties in Nola and Wheeler who both got hit around pretty good, even though the Phillies won the first game. So mix it up with the lefty, see if, see if that gets them off the game and then sets it up later. But the Astros did what they wanted to do, stand pat, and they already had the day off in between, so the bullpens would, should be okay. But, you know, if, it, if advantage goes to anybody, I think you said it earlier, it goes to the Phillies, right? Yeah, no doubt. Just because the fact that you get your have your starters set up in a, in a more favorable way for you. The only thing is, is that though they're they're still committing to to Wheeler in Game Six, I believe. Game Five, I think they would go bullpen game with like Syndergaard and the relief pitchers. I don't think if they're facing like elimination, if they drop Game Three and Game Four, Game Five, winner take all or whatever. It's like or not winner take all, just like you know win or go home for the Phillies. They got to put Wheeler back out there on the bump. But the only thing with that is, is that like 
Wheeler is did not look good in his start. He gave up uh, five innings. It was five runs, three walks. First pitches of every at-bat, I felt like in the first inning were hard contact or even just like the first couple pitches of every at-bat. Velocity was down. Like, how worried should we be with Zach Wheeler right now? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't ideal, but at the same time, you got to roll with them, right? There's no – they don't really have another choice, so you got to hope that he clears his mind, comes back, and at the end of the year, man, I'm sure he's tired, but who cares? You know, he doesn't care at this point. No one cares, so they – got to go out there and do it. And that, that was my one question. So if the Phillies, if they win these next two games and it's game five, yes, game five at home, and they have a 3-1 lead, do they throw Wheeler in that game? Ooh. Or do you still save him for six? I think they would I think they would give him a, a bull. I think it would do bullpen day, and I think they would put him out there for the next game, give him his extra day of rest or whatever. Just, they, they love giving this guy extra rest. I mean, even with that long layoff between the CS – in the world series, they still started in game two instead of game one. So um, yeah, it's interesting. I think Thompson's got a pretty good grasp on it, but gosh, that, that two mile an hour or whatever it was drop in velocity in his fastball. It was, it was not pretty. He was 95, 96, as opposed to 97, 98. And I mean, gosh, the Astros were, were very aggressive in the first at bat or first pitches of these at bats. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, th- these games are three and four going to be crucial, obviously. Um, but in terms of surprises in this series, what what's been the biggest surprise in games one and game two for you? I would I would say the Astros offense, right? Like putting up five five right away, or you know going up five zip that first game. I'm like, uh oh, this is not looking good. But the Phillies came back, which is also a surprise because that is a big deficit right there, especially in the World Series with Justin Verlander on the mound. But I didn't expect the Astros offense to come out as aggressive and as potent as it's kind of been so far. How about you? It's Justin Verlander continuing to be horrific in world series games. It's death taxes and Justin Verlander will not pitch well in the world series. It feels like he's now and six with a six Oh seven ERA. I don't know how that's possible. He's going to win the Cy Young in the American league this year. And then he goes out there and lays an egg in game one. I mean, he, this is his fifth world series is his eighth career world series start too. So it's not even a small sample size, but good God, JV. Did you see the video of him flipping fans off in Philadelphia, by the way? I, yes, kind of. I, but I, I heard he was trying to give some context to it. I'm sure they were probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> he did it while well, smiling. So yeah. yeah, I don't think it's, I think it's kind of funny. They it, probably yeah. loved it. They probably were dying. Honestly. I saw a picture of uh, uh, of some girl that he was flipping off. He got a picture with her, like, arm around, smiling, and he was, like, doing the flipping off in the photo. So I think it might have been, like, a funny ingest kind of thing, not like a FU, like a cold FU, um, <laughs> which would just be weird because he's on the bus. It's like, why are you doing this? So um, that's my biggest surprise. Uh, that's I'm excited, though. This has been a fun World Series. It, it's been a good back and forth. The, a lot of offense, which I like. Uh, it's not great if you like pitching duels, but I mean, who likes pitching duels anyway? Um, that's all I had. I, I, I just want to do the top five and we can get out of here. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So this week's top five, we talked about it last week. We teased it. It's going to be the top five most unlikely postseason heroes. Uh, so uh, you can expect a lot of Orioles and Nationals in mind. Shout out. Um, <laughs> my number five is Steve Pierce, former Oriole, 2018 World Series for the Red Sox. He gets traded to the Red Sox halfway through that year. In the World Series, he had three home runs, including two in Game 5, and took home the World Series MVP. So shout out Steve Pierce. Number four, it's going to be Edgar Renteria. 2010 World Series, 4-12 in that series with six RBIs, and he was the MVP of that series. Uh, Number three is going to be Travis Ishikawa. So back-to-back Giants, 2014 NLCS was insane. Game-winning RBI in Game 1. Game 5 walk-off with a three-run homer. Sends the Giants to the World Series that year. He batted 385 in the NLCS. So shout-out Travis Ishikawa. Number 2 is going to be a national. to be Howie Kendrick. His 2019 postseason is the stuff of legend. The NLDS against LA, a 10th inning Grand Slam to give the Nationals the win. NLCS MVP. And then in the World Series, Game 7, we've talked about it last week, he had to go ahead two run home run off the foul pole. I love Howie Kendrick so much. And then my number one pick, it's going to be Delman Young. His double in game two of the ALDS for the Baltimore Orioles against the Tigers. I mean, I was at that game, so I'm a little bit biased. But I mean, his career at that point, he went from like first overall pick and he bounced around a little bit. And then to have that big pick or a big hit, is just a, a cult hero forever in Baltimore after that. So uh, Delman Young, number one. I like that list and I'm going to steal one because I just have to because I loved it so much. But I'll put him at five. 
for it. Uh, Howie Kendrick, man, that that postseason run was just I was loving watching that. So I got to I got to go with him at number five. Number four is going to be Chris Calabello from the Blue Jays. He was an offseason waiver claim that year, and he ended up hitting 321 with a 520 slug in 101 games for Toronto that year and was crucial for their their playoff role or playoff run, excuse me. And then number three is going to be Craig Council, Brewers manager, back with the D-backs. Uh, and, you know, Luis Gonzalez had the game seven walk-off off Mariano Rivera that year. But Council homered in game one to kind of set the tone, and he ended up uh, – he was the NLCS MVP, uh, and that just kind of set the tone for the, rest of, for the rest of that series. Number two, I don't really know why, but I always liked Edgar Renteria. Can't really tell you why. I think it's because he was pretty good in whatever video games I was playing back then. I had absolutely no affiliation with him, but he's number two for the Giants. Um, apparently, he gave a big-time speech to the Giants that year and <clears throat> ended up with hitting 412 with six runs and six RBIs in the World Series with the game-winning homer in game five and was the MVP. So he is number two. And then number one, had to go with my guy, Mike Brousseau from the 2020 Rays. He, his story is great. I hope, I hope we get him on here this off season. Uh, undrafted out of, out of college, worked his way up there. And just that year was played a great role with the Rays, but that season in Yankee stadium with two outs in the ninth, Araldis Chapman threw a ball at his face that barely missed it. And he ended up striking out to end the game. And there was a little, um, kerfuffle after that bench is cleared as Chapman kind of stared him down and walked towards him fast forward to the AL division series in San Diego that year 2020 um he put together one of the best at bats I have ever seen and I was watching it live uh which ended I forget how many pitches it was it had to be at least 10 12 uh ended with a homer off Chapman that gave us the win and advanced us to the next round and was sweet, sweet payback for what happened earlier in the year. So he had to be number one. I love that list, man. Yeah, I was a big Edgar Renteria fan too, like MVP baseball in 2005. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why, but I always was. Yeah, he bounced around a little bit. I love that cool batting stance with the bat way up here. So yeah, I was big, big Renteria too. Edgar Renteria. Yeah. Big fan. Hope you come on pod. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are he's doing nowadays? Um, all right. We have two last quick things before we get to our interview this week. Uh, we wanted to give a shout out to Friend of the Podcast, Actions Over Words. It's an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. Uh, they're founded in Cape May, New Jersey by Alec Levin. They donate $5 of every sale to charities around the world. So check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com and use the promo code N4L for 10% off of your entire order. And last but not least, be sure to check out our Not For Long Media family of podcasts. Tons of great content for you to check out. The Colin Thompson Show, which Brian and I were on earlier today. Uh, we have other great Not For Long Media podcasts that you should check out as well. Two Girls, One League, and Ah Gs with Harry Mays and Jason Mertidis. Uh, Interview for this week. We're about to tape it as soon as we get done with this. It's going to be a, a very cool Padres-themed interview. Yeah, we got <clears throat> reliever from the Padres, Stephen Wilson. Uh, my teammate last year, he was in AAA. Uh, did it. For some reason, never got called up last year. Uh, I thought there was a few times he probably deserved it, but nonetheless, he did it and was protected this offseason, I believe, put on the 40 man and made the team out of spring and had a pretty good year. So uh, awesome dude. Got a really good story, good good backstory there too that, that we'll, we'll touch on was an Uber driver and some other things. I know that you were having fun looking up, but – yeah, man. Great guy. Can't wait to uh to talk about him. I talk to him. Talk about him. <laughs> Should be a lot of fun. Uh, with all that being said, we'll set an over interview with Steven Wilson from the Padres. And joining us today on Breaking Bats is Padres reliever Steven Wilson, my former teammate in El Paso. Willie, thanks for coming on, man. Good to see you. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, good to see you as well. I'm I'm doing well. Just got back home for the off season and just kind of getting settled in and finally unpacked and getting back into the gym these last couple of days. Yeah, I'm excited, man. What a season for you and for the team. Excited to to hear about it and talk about it. But 
I was, dude, I saw you got added in the off season. I was telling Jay when we were uh, recording the, the intro to this, right before we hopped in here, um, you know, you didn't get called up the year I played with you at all. And I thought there were a few times you probably deserved for that to happen. So when, uh, when I saw you got added this off season and then broke with the team out of spring training, I thought that was just really cool. I was pumped for you because you do have a great backstory, which we're going to get to too. But when they told you that you made the team in spring, how cool was that? It was amazing, man. It was, it was honestly hard to like keep the emotions down. I, I kind of let it out a little bit. Um, it's been a crazy journey. So it was, uh, it was awesome. Like I didn't expect that going into spring training. I knew that there was probably one spot available to take. Um, and I just, I, I put together six good outings and, and things kind of fell that way. And, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool moment. what they do? They call you in the office? Or they tell you at the game. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy because spring training was done and we had that like one off day and we were playing Arizona. So we were still there um, in Peoria and we went in to throw. I like went through my whole like warm up routine in the gym and and nobody there was kind of a few of us. We're on the fence and we're sitting there waiting to hear who the last guys were that were going to make the team. And and I went out to I was about to leave to go outside and throw. And, uh, and Ben Fritz, our bullpen coach called me in and he was like, Hey, we need to talk to you real quick, Willie. And so they brought me in and it was, uh, Preller and Stein and, and Fritz and Ruben and then, and then Bo Mel. And yeah, it was pretty surreal. I was like, okay, this is going one of two ways. I was kind of, I went in with no expectations, but, um, cause there were some other good pitchers that could have made it too out of, out of camp. And so I was like, all right, it's going one of two ways. Let's, let's see what they got to say. And thankfully, I, I ended up breaking with the team. And it was uh, it was a pretty cool moment, especially having a manager like Bob Melvin tell you that you're that you're breaking with the team. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, those nerves going into that room. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, here it is. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's find out which one. This is, yeah. Uh, but man, that, yeah, that had to be so cool to hear those words. And then what was it like? Now, this is one thing. I have not gotten the experience that um, hopefully will is opening day. I haven't, haven't been there for opening day. How cool was opening day? It was awesome. Um, I mean, we opened up in Arizona and, and they actually had a pretty good crowd that day. Um, and you don't, I, I'm trying to remember if they called out our names on opening day. It might've just been the starters. It might've been everybody. I don't honestly remember. It was first game and, and the, the butterflies were going and adrenaline was pumping all day. So um, it was cool, man, just the atmosphere and uh, just being there, like putting on the San Diego Padres uniform for the first time. I mean, you wear the spring training one, but the, the ones in season are always different. So it was uh, it was a pretty surreal moment. And I had all my had family and friends, the guy whose bachelor party I'm going to um, next week. I'm his best man. He was there. And. So college teammates, high school teammates, whole family. It was it was pretty surreal. And then in San Diego, it was amazing. I think we were sold out, and the place was nuts, and they announced you. And, um, yeah, it was pretty special. That's awesome. Yeah, San Diego's – they love it, man. They, they It's phenomenal. But did you – so when, when did you debut officially? Did you pitch in Arizona? Yeah, I pitched the, the third game of the season. It was actually tied 2-2, two to two, and I think I threw the sixth inning. Um and the second pitch fly out and then I went punch out and then I had another punch out on a check swing, but it got called a ball <laughs> <laughs> and ended up walking that guy and got a ground out next. So yeah, the third, third game of the season. What was like, what was that like jogging in for that first inning? It was wild. Um, I will say it like, wasn't my highest adrenaline of the year. I, I honestly expected like more adrenaline. Um, but it was, I mean, it was up there and walking in, I was like, damn, like tie game. I held it right there, like did my job. And so it was, it was pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's, uh, <clears throat> I can't imagine like going back to those emotions. It's crazy, but I feel like pitching for is like different than hitting for some reason. I don't know. Like you're up there everybody's watching everything you're doing. <laughs> nothing's starting until you start to do something. Like, 
it's just a different animal. I'd be afraid I like trip yeah. or something like that, but that's awesome, dude. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild as a pitcher. I mean, they say it's what, it's like the loneliest place in sports on that mound. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're, you're out there, all the eyes are on you. Like as a hitter, you get to go up to bat and like three, four times a game. And, and you can make, like, even if you have a bad offensive game, you can still like have a great defensive game and like, it's still a productive game. But as a pitcher, like it's either you do it or you don't. And so it was, uh, it was crazy, but it was a blast. That's awesome. Let's, uh, J.A., let's get it going, man. Hit him with the, the old school questions. <laughs> no, I mean, you said it yourself. I mean, you're, you've had a crazy journey to get to where you are at this point. But I wanted to take it back because I heard a really, really cool story uh, back on Father's Day, I think it was. Your, your dad was talking about the time he umpired your high school game at Coors Field, like, had, yeah. like called in emergency umpire situation. What was that like having your dad be your umpire? Yeah, that was um, – it happened a couple times throughout, like, Little League and in middle school. Like, the umpires didn't show up. And, and my dad was a professional umpire for a while. Um, he went to the school down in Florida and, and umpired for a couple seasons. And uh, he's done college ball forever. So, we showed up that day for the high school game, and the umpires weren't there. I guess somebody had told them a different time, like an hour later or something. And so, my dad pulled up, and they were like, hey, is your, like, does your dad have his gear? Can he do the game? And so I called him and he had just gotten into the stadium and I was like, hey, like, do you have your umpire gear with you? And thankfully he had it in the back of his truck and he ran <laughs> back to his car and like got suited up and came out. So our game was a little bit delayed, but uh, yeah, and I was starting that game too. So I threw the first two innings and he's not that dad that's going to give me the strikes off the, off the plate. And I mean, it was like a professional zone <laughs> in high school. He wasn't giving me anything because he's he's just not like that. He was always hard on me growing up, and like he's like, "No, you like you gotta you gotta fill up the zone. I'm not giving you anything." So <laughs> it it was cool. Uh, we ended up walking off that game, so pretty special moment, senior year of high school, and and yeah, it was fun. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, I just, like how much did you learn about the game growing up with your dad, who obviously knew the rule book kind of inside and out. Yeah, it was it was always kind of fun getting that perspective, like from the umpiring side, because I would always go to the games. That's kind of how I fell in love with the game. Um, he would umpire all summer and me and my brother would just go to the games with him and we would like chase foul balls and they would pay us to chase the foul balls. So it was kind of cool. And um, so I always got that perspective. I would hear him and his umpire buddies like talking about the game and the players. And so I always kind of knew like don't disrespect the umpires, especially early on. Like a lot of the times, I mean, I was, I umpired games when I was in high school. Like I did the little league thing and, and guys are out there trying to make money and they're trying to do their thing and they're not getting paid a lot, but it's, so I learned how to respect the umpires. Um, I kind of know which lines you can and can't cross. So that was always good, but yeah, definitely just being around him and, and learning the game. I mean, he knew it inside and out being at the professional level. So um he definitely taught me a lot about baseball and that's probably where I got like the foundation of of my baseball I guess as a whole baseball as a whole that's where the foundation was set no doubt so you were uh, drafted out of high school but chose not to sign and you decided to go to Santa Clara University to play college ball what was the decision making process for you like at that point yeah it was honestly like I wasn't expecting anything in the draft um I, I had talked to a handful of teams and, but nobody was like, Hey, we're thinking about taking you here. And so I was actually, I was working my summer job at like an outdoor pool and I got a call from, it was actually the Phillies. So like 10 years later, it's kind of full circle. Um, and he was like, Hey, we're thinking about taking you next round. And so we turned on the like live stream on somebody's phone at work. And like, like two minutes later I got selected. So it was kind of crazy. And, uh, yeah, they didn't end up because I was a 35th rounder. So they kind of signed the first round and then on down. So I was pretty late. And there was it was actually the deadline day. I think it was like July 12th or something, July 13th. And I had to sign by midnight while well, I was on a family vacation in San Diego. So they actually flew out to San Diego and met us at our hotel. And they kind of gave me the offer at like eight o'clock at night. And so I had four hours. I was 17. My mom would have had to sign my contract. And so I had four hours to decide if I wanted to go to college or if I wanted to play pro ball. And I had just finished my orientation at Santa Clara. We drove down to San Diego. So it was like just such a whirlwind. I'm 17 years old. I mean, there was a good amount of money in front of me. And 
I ultimately decided to go to Santa Clara, but it was a, uh, it was a crazy four hours of life. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. We've yeah. talked all about the, the college baseball experience and Brian's is obviously a little bit different. I don't think Brian, you were drafted at high school, were you? No, I stunk. I was not good in high school. <laughs> I was, I was a very good athlete and I was very talented. I, I had no idea what I was actually doing in baseball. I was just kind of a little more gifted than most other people. <laughs> but to, to go for <laughs> so you're at Santa Clara. You're you're the you're the Saturday starter, right? For one year. Um. Yeah. It was. I was like bounced between Friday and Saturday. Me and me and Mitch White. That's prime time. I mean, that's that's really cool. But and then the next year, can you talk about what the the Tommy John like the the experience the leading up to that? Like what what all kind of happened at that point? Yeah. So my elbow was torn for like two years. Um, I tore it my redshirt sophomore year, um, and then I kind of just pitched through it. Um, it wasn't a big tear at the beginning, but over the two years, it slowly just got worse and worse. And so, yeah, I was going into my fifth year. Um, it was January and I was like throwing a flat ground and I just felt it go like completely. I couldn't, I used to go over the head out of the windup and I couldn't lift my arm up over my head. It was, it wasn't good. So I ended up getting surgery a week before the season started in my fifth year of college. And so I had my degree and yeah, I thought at that point I was kind of up in the air. I was like, do I, I've got my degree from a pretty good school. Do I start working or do I try to go to grad school and come back for a sixth year? Cause I had redshirted my freshman year medical redshirt as well. So at that point it was two medical redshirts and I was kind of up in the air. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to keep playing or just call it, call it quits. And so that was kind of where I was at come the surgery day. That's, I mean, that has to be a, a difficult time in your life. The, the 2018 draft rolls around, though. You're, you're, you had a great sixth year, though. You decided to come back. But as a sixth-year senior going into that 2018 draft, can you explain kind of how that ultimately affected what you were signed for? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was signed for well under slot. Um, I signed for $5,000 in the eighth round. Uh, I think slot was like 180-something, 182. I think the team saved like $176,000 that I think ended up going to our second rounder. He signed for pretty high over slot. So, uh, yeah, you just, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. Like, you don't really have any options. You could try to go play indie ball, but, like, when you get signed out of indie ball, there's usually no money there either. So, uh, money-wise, I, I wasn't really concerned about that. I knew what it was going into the season, and um, I was kind of more shooting for, like, a round. Like, because, I mean, it happens in baseball. If they give you a lot of money, you get a little bit more chances than other people that don't. And then if you're like a higher round guy, you typically get a few more chances than anybody that's maybe like a 30th round pick or, or nowadays down to 20 rounds. So uh, we were shooting for just as high of a round as we could get. We knew we were going to get about $5,000 and it was what it was. So I just kind of wanted to have the opportunity to play professional baseball. So I wasn't too caught up in the money at that point. What pick were you? In the eighth round, we got to figure this. I was an eighth rounder too. I was. I think I was two thirty one. I think I was two thirty two. I swear, <laughs> to God, I'm not sure. Jay, I looked this up. Nope. That's pretty I'm funny. So the fun part was our uh, teammate in El Paso, or actually, I don't think you ever played with him, Trevor McGill. His brother. I was his teammate in nineteen. That's right. And then he was with a different team. Um, his brother was the pick after me. And that's Tyler McGill, who's with the Mets now. That's fun. But somehow he was a senior, and he somehow ended up with fifty thousand. So I don't know what went wrong with me. <laughs> what do you got? I, I looked it up. So Stephen, you were the seventh pick in the eighth round, so that's two thirty-one overall. And Brian, you were the twentieth pick in the eighth round, that was two forty-five. Close. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I got. That's okay. Got you weren't a sixth-year senior, so. No, or were you? I was a. I was a senior, not a sixth year, but okay. I did get, I got, I got 10,000 instead of 5,000. Oh, so. you doubled me. Damn. But that I do have, <laughs> I had a guy that I played with who I love, but uh, he, he didn't play very well. And he was a red shirt junior and older than me. And he got like a hundred. Yeah. It's crazy. It makes no sense in, in my opinion, but it is what it is. It's different though. Well, yeah, they, he he technically could have gone back to school. So yeah, and that's that's I the big thing. Play. I mean, I think our uh, 
What round did he get drafted in? Um, why am I blanking on his name? From Arkansas, the relief or starting pitcher and relief pitcher. Cops. Cops. Kevin Cops. Yeah, blanking on his name. Um, he's the best, by the way. Love that guy. Um, but yeah, so he was like same boat as me. He was like technically a fifth year, but because of COVID and everything, he was or he had like a redshirt year, and then the COVID year, he was actually older than me when I got drafted, and he got like obviously not senior sign money because he did still have the option of going back to school. So it's literally just that leverage of one year of school that, that changes that for guys. It's kind of crazy. crazy. <laughs> it all worked out in the end. So that's all that really matters. That's right. Yeah. Kevin Copps was the 99th overall pick and the, he's a third round guy. Yeah. So, shout out Kevin Copps. Um, your your best season though in 2019 was the was uh, your best season in the minors was 2019. Then the COVID season hit in 20. Like were, were you like what were you doing to try to stay ready during that time? And, and did that timing like was that was that a hard thing to stop playing baseball right as soon as you're you're finding your groove there? Yeah, I was I was pretty bummed about the the COVID year because I came in. It was my first big league camp. Um, I came in. I had two really good outings right away, and then I I actually it kind of helped me because I had a little bit of a lower back injury. Um, so I wasn't going to be pitching in spring training anymore. Um, and then COVID shut everything down. I went back home and, and rehabbed for like a month or so. And I was back throwing and pitching. And um, yeah, I was basically, there was a, a gym nearby and we could kind of go. And there was like groups of two or three guys that would go lift at a time. Um, and yeah, so I would just lift and throw. And we were able to get outside to a high school field and throw some live ABs as it got closer to maybe coming back. Um, so I started throwing live ABs and, and then everybody came back and I ended up uh, going to the alternate site in like the middle of August um, and threw for a month there. So it was definitely not ideal, but I still got some work in. Um, it's just hard when you're not playing games. Like I couldn't, you can't really simulate a game when I was, I literally threw against uh, I think a 13 year old. He was like a freshman in high school. And I was up there throwing 95 and I was like, dude, good for you for even being in the box. But like, that's just, it's not really going to get you ready for, for what you're going to see when you're playing professional baseball. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. you, you sound like you have a pretty good outlook on all this stuff though, but was it hard to like, how do you kind of stay positive through the tough times, whether it's the Tommy John or the COVID year, or even the lockout, like how, how do you stay positive through all that? Yeah, for me, I, I honestly never really thought like I never had like a mental skills coach or anything. I mean, you learn some stuff through your other coaches, but never one specifically. Um, and to me, I've always, I've, I've said it a lot in interviews and on other stuff. Um, I've always just seen things very like black and white. So for me, it was like, okay, if I want to keep playing baseball, I got to go to grad school. And like, if I want to get drafted. And so to me, it was like, a lot of it was like, what do I want to do? And I wanted to play professional baseball. So in order to do that, I needed to, do X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of just focused on that. Honestly, like when I got Tommy John, it was kind of a reset for me. I could, I had a full year to get in shape. Um, I had gotten a little heavy in college. I was like 240. Um, so I dropped 25 pounds. I got down to 215, started moving better, um, stopped being a meathead in the weight room so much. And like, I was like, oh, your hips don't actually work all that well. Let's work on that. And so that's kind of what the TJ did is it let me, it let me reset and let me like, kind of get my body where it needed to be so that I could be successful on the field. And honestly, like the, the year mental break from baseball was, was pretty good for me. So I think that's kind of how I stayed positive. I was just like, okay, if I want to play pro ball, here's what I got to do. And, and when you're working hard and thankfully I had a good group of guys at college around me and all summer rehabbing. And so honestly, that was one of the best summers of my life. Like I wasn't playing ball. I was just getting myself right. And like getting ready for what was to come. So, yeah, I would say that is kind of how I kept it. I just kept working, honestly. That's how I kept in a good mindset. I like that, dude. Yeah, always staying active, always keeping the mind working. So I read, obviously, Brian and I talked about this before you got on. You obviously, you during the lockout, you had an interesting job, a side hustle you picked up to make extra money. You were an Uber driver. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, it was. Uh, I actually did that in. I did it a couple years before too. Um, and then picked it back up in the lockout. I was like, I didn't want to tap into savings or anything. So I was like, you know what? I don't have a paycheck. I kind of planned my off season to be ready to go back to spring training and start getting some money again. And 
obviously that didn't happen. So I was like, I'll start Ubering again. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was honestly a great job. Like you kind of work when you want to work um, other than you're putting miles on your car, like, and you get most of the people that you drive are, are good. Um, no problems, but you get the, you get the really drunk guy here and there, or somebody that, I mean, you get a lot of people that just don't want to talk to you. They're just eyes in the phone the whole time, which is fine with me. So overall it was good. I mean, it's like the one thing we can do with our schedules. That's like, okay, you can work when you want. You don't really have a boss telling you what to do. And so it's pretty flexible and it gets, it's pretty good money. So it got the job done. I enjoyed it. You're, I saw your Uber rating. You're almost almost a perfect five, four, nine, eight. Does that, <laughs> yeah. does that still bother you to this day? The three, four stars? Uh, no, I'm always just curious. Like, <laughs> like <clears throat> if there was a ride where I was like, like I ran over a curve or like went the wrong way or something. I was like, okay, I would understand that. Or, but I honestly don't remember one. So I'm always just curious, like what was the one ride? Like it, I don't, I don't lose sleep or anything, but it was probably one or two rides over the course of the two different times I drove Uber. And so, yeah, I'd be curious to know which one that was, but obviously I'll never, I'll never know that. He's on the mound, Jay. Like, God, what was that fucking ride? <laughs> fucking gave me that four star time. I wish you would reach out now. <laughs> Love it. I need to have a conversation with that guy. I like that though. Were, were you the Uber driver that was like, you know, were you the chatty Uber driver? Were you, you know, the, the respectful of people's time and, and don't want to talk to them? Like what, what was the conversation? Cause I think there's even an option now where you can have like a silent ride too. Right. Yeah. I think you can click a button and it's like, I just, I don't want to talk. <laughs> and like it, it notifies the driver. I don't know if that was a thing when I drove, cause I never saw a notification. If it was, I missed it. And people probably hated me if I said hi, but, uh, <laughs> No, it was, I mean, I would usually just like ask them how their day was going. Like, Hey, how's it going? How's your day? And then by then you could usually get a good feel if they wanted to talk to you or not. And so I kind of left it up to them. I wasn't the one, I mean, you get those Uber drivers that no matter what, they're going to talk to you. Yeah. And <laughs> I was not that guy. Um, or the ones that won't talk at all. So I, I was like a happy medium. Like I would talk if you wanted to, and if not, I'm cool being silent. I would just turn the music up a little bit in that case. <laughs> When you look back at that time in your life, though, for, to go from Uber driver and then like three months later, like we talked about earlier, to make the, the Padres opening day roster, like how do you remember all of that? Um, it honestly just happened so quick. Like I remember I was working out at the the facility, a couple big league guys there, and um, we were all just talking like, yo, when's this going to happen? And I, I worked out with Taylor Rogers in the offseason, and he was in on all those meetings. So he was kind of like updating me, and it sounded like things were going terrible. And then out of nowhere, they're like, okay, report to spring training tomorrow. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> All right. I mean, I had been throwing lives and like the group we had was good. And so I felt ready, but it was kind of crazy. They it like all went through on Friday and I took a flight to Arizona Saturday morning. So I packed up at that one night and I was in Arizona and playing catch the next day. So it was pretty crazy. And then, yeah, making the team um, a month after that, it was, or three weeks, whatever it was, it was, I mean, it was all kind of a blur. Like I couldn't, I think I had six outings in spring training, but I, I don't really remember specifically any of them. It was just like all it's, it was so long ago now. And like, everything was just a blur at that time you went from, Oh, there's not going to be a season to, okay, we're having one to, okay, you made the team. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that was a crazy month. No doubt. And then obviously you made the team and you're, you pitch incredibly to start the year and people were calling you the best kept secret on the Padres bullpen. Like what had to go right. And what did you have to, to do to have that kind of success? Like you had last year. Um, honestly, like it was just, I mean, I just had, had been throwing how I was the past few years. Like I just kept everything rolling from, from the years before. Um, and it was, I mean, you're going to hit ebbs and flows. Like you're going to have a, a good month and then a bad month. And like, that's just kind of how baseball goes. And I mean, you get the hall of famers that are just flatline the whole time. And so you, you, you try to stay as close to consistent as you can, but everybody's going to have ups and downs. And early in the season, I was just, I mean, I was hot. I was hitting spots. All my pitches were working. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, the Bowmel trusted me early on. And so I was in some high leverage roles in the first month. And so it was pretty, it was pretty wild, but um, yeah, I mean, that doesn't last forever. So got smacked in the face a little bit <laughs> month two. So, uh, but that's all part of it. Like you, you're not going to get better if you're not 
learning from those things. So it's all part of it. I got a few quick ones and then we'll, we'll let J.A. finish it out here. But okay. what was first one? What was your favorite moment for you personally this season? What, you know, my, you pitching or the team, whatever. Yeah, I would say um, two of them. First one would be like the first save I had because I was going through it at that time. Like I had given up four in Atlanta, I think like a week before that. And like I was not pitching well. I wasn't commanding much. And we were kind of working on a couple things. We were tinkering with things at that point. And then so I go in for my first save because um, I think Rogers had gone three straight or two straight. And it's against Miami. And first pitch of the inning, like – off the end of the bat, fly ball to right, and we had a one-run lead, so there was no no wiggle room. And I was like, okay, got the first one out of the way, and I look back, and we're in no doubles, and it, like, drops in, and I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> and so I think I ended up walking one, but it was second and third, two outs, three-two count, and I ended up getting a fly ball to end it, and it was like I got through it. And I kind of turned a corner there. Uh, I think I might have had one other not-so-great outing after that, but – just like sometimes you need one of those outings, like it's a battle, but you got through it to get you back on the right track. Um, so that one was good. And then I think my other one was my, my first start. I got the opener against the Dodgers. Um, I had thrown the last inning the night before I threw the ninth at home. And then um, they told me at like 11 AM the next day, they're like, Hey, you're, you're opening tonight. You got one. I was like, all right. And so <laughs> It was pretty like I hadn't started since college in 2018, like halfway through the season because I was limited on innings. So I went to the bullpen the second half. And so I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, so what time should I be going out? Like what time? When's the anthem? How long am I going to have to warm up? And so just trying to figure all that out. And uh, it ended up going well. Um, it was one, two, three with two punch outs. So and it was it was kind of electric. So, yeah, that like timing thing. I went straight to the bullpen. So I didn't play catch before the game. Like I usually do. I'm like, you know what I threw last night. I know I'm going to be a little soggy. Like, well, I'll just go straight to the pen and just act like I'm coming out of the bullpen. And so I did. And they were like, okay, uh, I think it was a 640 game. So they're like, all right, at 638. They usually like turn the lights off and play the video. And it's like one minute. And then you like start warming up. The team comes out and it's a minute till game. So I'm in the bullpen. We did the anthem. I start warming up. I'm throwing and I look up at the clock and it's 638. I was like, I only got like one or two pitches left and the lights hadn't gone out yet. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I threw a couple more and I'm like, honestly, like I'm ready. Like I'm just going to start going out there. And they hadn't started playing the hype video or anything. And so I start walking out and I was like, you know what? I'll walk until it, all the lights go out and stuff. And then I'll jog in like I normally do. Well, I got like halfway through the outfield and then the lights went out. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've already walked this far. Like I'm going to walk the rest of the way. And honestly, like the slow walk and the lights going crazy and everything, like my adrenaline was just getting like higher and higher the closer I got to the mound. So it was it was pretty fun. And then you open up the game striking out Mookie and it was like just uh, there was just I don't even know what was going on. I was my adrenaline was so high. It was crazy. That was that was like one of the two highest adrenalines of the year was my first start. So that one was I liked that one. That was a special one. That was you led me perfect into the second one. I was gonna say, <laughs> what was what was it like pitching against the Dodgers? Um, dude, honestly, like I feel like I threw pretty well. I don't know all the numbers against them, but um, I, I threw well against them this year, and it was which was cool. I had honestly, like in high A in 2019, the Rancho Cucamongo Quakes were like the best team in the league. And everybody was like, there was just a, you know, you get that different vibe in the locker room. And I kind of got caught up in that. And like my first outing against them gave up two runs. And like, after that, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, it's just another team. Like <laughs> I always tell myself like hitters suck. I'm like, these guys suck just as much as all the other hitters. So I'm like, just get after them. And ever since then, I've never really had like a, there's people that get caught up in who they're playing. And I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, it's the Dodgers, but I'm going to go out there and shove. So and so that was like a big turning point for me as a pitcher and for me, like just with them, obviously like the San Diego Dodgers thing has kind of blown up over the last couple of years. And so I just, you know what, it's just another hitter and another team like, sure. Are they really good? Do they win a lot of games? Yes. They have a lot of good players. Yes. But 
at the end of the day, I think I can strike each and every one of them out. So that's kind of how I go into it. That atmosphere is special, though. The San Diego. Yeah. Oh, those games were a blast. Like, I mean, it's a sellout every time, and and both stadiums rocking. And I mean, I actually like it when it's like that because you can't really hear anybody. You're out on the mountain, and it's just like all one noise. The worst is yeah. like going to like when we were in Cincinnati early on, and there's 500 people in the stadium. You can hear what everybody's saying, <laughs> and like Cincinnati's catching strays. <laughs> no, I mean that's just. I don't know what's all going on. It was freezing cold, by the way. So I wouldn't, I personally, as a fan, probably wouldn't have been there either. Um, but like you get those games where there's not a lot of people in the stands and it's like, you actually hear what they're saying. Yeah. But then you get the games where it's like, you got 45,000 people and you can't hear your catcher. So it's like, I, I personally like when there's a lot of white noise, but you get used to both sides. No, you're right, dude. In Japan, they do it like, when the home team is hitting, they're playing their music and it's all loud and crazy and stuff. But when the visiting team is hitting, you can hear a fucking pin drop unless you're, <laughs> unless your section of fans are there. So like when we would go to Sapporo, the fighters, like where Otani and, and Darvish played, it's farther yeah. away. So none of our fans would really be there. So we'd okay. be hitting like opening series of the year. I'm up there hitting and I'm like, I can fuck like, it's silent. I'm like, this is like freaking me out. What is going on? <laughs> Nothing. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Last one for me, and then Jay finish it off. Is is there? Did you notice anything different, or what are the differences between AAA and the MLB for you? Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been talking a lot about. Like a lot of people ask me this, and it's honestly, it's a big jump. Um, I don't know. I like baseball wise. Yes. It's a big jump. Like these are the best players in the world. And so, um, that was a big jump, just the baseball. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was like the travel and just like all the eyes on you at all times. Like whatever, like in AAA, if you have a bad outing, nobody knows, nobody cares <laughs> in the big leagues, you have a bad outing, you come back and your Twitter's blowing up and like, it's like people care. And so that part's different. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing for me this year that I struggled with was like the travel and all the time zone changes. And like, cause in, in El Paso at most we changed an hour. So it like really wasn't that. And you, you fly once a week. So it's really not that bad. And, uh, but then you get to the big leagues and sometimes you're on a flight every three days for 12 days. So you got five flights in 12 days, like, or whatever it is, and you're going from the West Coast, and then you're in the East Coast, and then you're back to the West Coast for six games, and then you're back to the East Coast. So it was like trying to find that balance and like just trying to like figure out my sleep schedule on those times. I mean, it, it was all out of whack and like just trying to get used to that. I think that was a big hurdle for me. I, after the first month, like my body just felt worn down. Like I was not used to it. And I was, I was starting to adapt and like, kind of hit a lull there and um that was one thing like Craig Stammen told me all year he was like I'm gonna tell you right now man like the first year is gonna be your hardest year he was like just getting used to everything and like you never know what's going on you don't know how the trips work you don't know how anything like you don't know how playoffs work this year and, and so like he was like you'll be used to it by next year but like he told me from the beginning he's like this year is gonna be hard like just get ready for it and I mean he was right like it's a lot of adjustment and so but yeah, the travel and stuff, that was probably the biggest adjustment for me and the length of the season. It's another month longer than the minor league season. So that'll, that'll get you. Absolutely. So I just had a couple quick rapid fire questions for you. Um, so All you right. play college baseball in the West coast conference. What were some of the prettiest campuses and schools you have ever played at? Uh, Santa Clara is up there. Beautiful campus. Um, Pepperdine, obviously. Uh, their baseball, like in Malibu, baseball field looks out to the ocean and like Pepperdine's beautiful. Um, what are some other ones? BYU, beautiful field. Um, great place to play. Loved that. Uh, Gonzaga was cool. They probably had the best surface. Um, so yeah, West Coast Conference schools, I would say those are the top ones in terms of like, I honestly didn't venture on the campuses a whole lot. Oh, University of San Diego. They got a beautiful campus too. But I didn't like them. I, that was USD. I'm not a fan of them. 
<laughs> no, I'm in San Diego, so <laughs> full circle. Sticking in the college realm, so you have degrees in economics and business analytics. What does a post-playing career look like for you, do you think? Um, I if, uh, if I learned anything in grad school, it's that I don't want to work outside of baseball. So <laughs> I had to do some like marketing and finance data projects. And I was like, this sucks. I have zero interest in this. And so, but then I did a few projects with baseball data and I was like, I dove in, I'm on my computer all day. Like I was actually, so um, I would like to coach. I think being able to have the playing experience along with like the data background and like the, the analytics side. Um, I feel like I could find a good like niche to get into there. Um, and then other than that, maybe like a front office job. I think I want to put, stay on the player side of things, but I'm not opposed to, to working in a front office and kind of seeing the business side of baseball. That would be incredible. You crushed that. Um, what is your walkout song and what is the reason why you picked it? Um, it is heavy as the head by Zach Brown. Um, and honestly, like his new album came out, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 2019 or 2018. And that song was on, and I was like, you know what? I kind of like this song. And I was like, I'm in pro ball now. Like I got to pick something other than my college walkout. And so it just kind of got me fired up. Like it's not a country song at all. It's more of like metal and like, and then after I had it for a walkout song, they had a, a Bose commercial, I think with TJ Watt. And it was that song in the Bose commercial. And I was like, all right, that's kind of sweet. Like I'm, I'm going to stick with that. So I've actually had that one since 2019. Um, there's a lot of ones that I want to do, but they don't have clean versions. So <laughs> I just, I just stick to heavy as the head. What, what's a, what's a sample? What's, what's another one you were thinking of? Um, the one I actually did it in the Dominican cause you could do whatever song you want explicit or not. Um, I did on top by Wiz Khalifa. So yeah, it was that one gets me fired up too. So in the Dominican, I loved it. They play it so loud down there too. It's the best. I love how they just don't care about the curse words in it. They're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most most of the people don't really speak English. So it was like they don't really know what it's saying, to be honest. But Good point. yeah, and they but I would imagine, and I don't speak Spanish, so all the Spanish walkout songs probably could have been <laughs> cussing too, and I, I don't know if they are or not. <laughs> I would imagine those that they can there too. So Oh yeah. Down in the Padres bullpen, who are some of the funniest people down there? Oh man, we got a good group of guys. Uh, Pierce Johnson is hilarious. Um, he's always got he's always got jokes for everybody. Um, who else is funny down there? Um, Garcia, I love Garcia. He he just has like this like funny like presence and aura about him, and he's always in like a, a good mood. So Garcia's pretty funny. Um, Timmy's hilarious too. Tim's. Tim is one of my favorite guys down there. He's just like the most real person you'll ever meet. Like there's no BS with Tim. It's just Tim. So uh, he, he cracks me up too. But yeah, honestly, the whole bullpen is just full of great dudes. It's the best. All right. I just have one last question for you. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, that's a great question. Um, I have gotten a lot of advice. <laughs> I got to think about this one. Um Best piece of advice. I don't know. I'm blanking right now. Um, there's so many good ones. But yeah, life or baseball? In life or baseball. Uh, shoot, yeah. that's let me think. This is what happens when you get guys on here. Yeah, I, I used to have I, I there's like so many things going on. I used to have a list of them in my phone. I think I deleted that actually. <laughs> I'm trying to, I played, I played for, I played for Johnny Gomes brother and he had daily ones. His name is Joey Gomes. Uh, he was my college summer ball coach and he would like just let him fly all the time. And there were some great ones in there. Um, I think the best baseball one, I say this to myself a lot on the mound and it came from Joey Gomes. He always talked about, he was like, um, he's like, whenever you're playing this game and especially as a pitcher or a hitter, he was like, every at bat somebody's career is going to get better. And he was always just like, who's, is, who's, is it going to be? And so I say that to myself on the mound a lot. Like if I'm, if I need like a little pump me up, I'm like, all right, like my career, your career is getting better right here. Like you bet your ass. It's not going to be yours. So baseball wise, I think that's, that's mine. Like it's either mine or yours. Let's do it. I love that. 
Was was your I have one last last one. I'm sorry about this, Brian. What was your college coach? Did he also coach Strasburg and Mark Appel at SC? Yeah, uh Rusty Filter. He uh he coached, I think he's the only division one pitching coach to ever coach two first pick overalls. Dang. Any saved work? Yeah, pitchers. Anything stand out from him? Uh, I mean a lot of things. He's just uh he's just a baseball guy through and through. Like he called me um halfway through the play or when we beat the Dodgers this year in the playoffs and he was like, he called me the next morning and he was fired up. I mean, he's a San Diego guy, coached at San Diego State for like 10 years. And he was, he was just like, I knew you motherfuckers were going to win this. Like just going <laughs> off. He was like, he was like, I was watching all the interviews and your guys are dropping F-bombs. And like, he's like, you got a bunch of dogs on the team. Like you guys were not going to lose those games. And, and so he was just like, he, he was amazing. But yeah, he's just that like. I mean, he's a dog, like everybody in baseball know that, like, he's just, he's a baseball guy and he was great to play for. He was one of my favorite coaches all the time. I love that. When I saw that, I knew I had asked about that. Yeah, for sure. All right, Brian. Love it, dudes. Willie, thank you for coming on here, man. This has been great. Thank you for giving us your time and, and your stories, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. That was awesome. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.